Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We open our program with the beautiful haunting melody from the Psalm 136, By the Waters of Babylon We Wept. It's one of the songs that we sing during this time, which we have now officially begun, the time of the great fast, the flowering of repentance. In other words, Lent, the great Lent. The Waters of Babylon, of course, is the psalm of mourning, of lament, of exile that the Jewish people sang as they were held captive in Babylon. They could no longer sing, could no longer sing a hymn of joy. And so it is with us. We no longer sing hymns of joy. At the same time, there is a joy in this week as we begin the great fast. That's why we call this the bright sadness. Notice the complimentary words there, a brightness and a sadness, all at the same time, very characteristic of the Eastern spirituality. It's always very both and. We are saddened because we put before our eyes our own sinfulness, in which we are very much in need of repentance, real heartfelt repentance and metanoia. But at the same time, if we are sincere about that, it brings us to a joy, a joy of growing in holiness, growing in our closeness, in our intimacy with God. And so we have two complementary things going on at the same time. It's neither one or the other, either or. It is always both of them. We have a very, very full week, this first week of the Great Fast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And we're going to pack you up, going to load you up with what's going on this week and load you up for your little, your little knapsack, your little packet of the Lent and season, the Great Fast. 
And as I say, we begin this week, today actually, in the afternoon or evening. This is called the Sunday of Cheese Fair. It's also called the Sunday or the Vespers of Forgiveness. The way we begin the Lenten season, the season of the Great Fast in the Byzantine Church, is by first forgiving one another. And of course, we know that from the Lord's Prayer. In order to be forgiven, we have to first forgive others. So we do that in actually in a ceremony, in the evening prayer of the church. And on this Sunday, today, as we begin Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we begin by taking on the posture of Adam, as though we were Adam standing outside of paradise. And this is symbolized by the priest who stands outside of the icon screen. That's the great wall decorated with icons with three sets of doors in it that separates the sanctuary from the nave in Byzantine churches. So the priest stands out there in colors of mourning in the deep red or purple. And he does so during much of the service, representing the person of Adam, who in turn, of course, is representing all of us. It is we who, like Adam, stand outside the gates of paradise, as though expelled because of our own sinfulness, and we beg to be let back in. And here is one of the many beautiful prayers from that Vesper service. O precious paradise, unsurpassed in beauty, tabernacle built by God, unending gladness and delight, Glory of the righteous, joy of the prophets, and dwelling of the saints. With the sound of thy leaves, pray to the Master of all, that he may open unto me the gates which I close by my transgressions. And may he count me worthy to partake of the tree of life, and of the joy which was mine when I dwelt in thee before. You notice how the words speak of Adam, but also of me, of ourselves. So we become Adam. And it's interesting, it's always one of my favorite lines where it says, let the sound, or sometimes the translation says, let the rustling of thy leaves, by the rustling of thy leaves, pray to the maker of all. As though the tree itself, the leaves, nature itself speaks for us on our behalf, that the sound of nature is the the rustling of the leaves of the tree is begging for our own forgiveness, as if the tree itself is praying for us. It's a very beautiful metaphor. So the service continues, and at one point, towards the end, we have a mutual forgiveness, the ceremony of forgiveness, where the priest actually turns to the people and asks for their forgiveness. And they, in turn, come forward to him and ask for his forgiveness. And we all form a line in which we embrace one another and beg mutual forgiveness from each other. What's interesting about this is that this is a custom done in the evening, every day, at most Eastern Christian monasteries. But on the season of Lent, as Lent begins on Cheese Fair Sunday, or the Sunday of the Expulsion of Adam from Paradise, or also Forgiveness Sunday, it has several names, we take this custom from the monasteries and transfer it to the parishes, so that we as a parish family, as a parish community, knowing that we are all sinners, we beseech God's forgiveness by first asking forgiveness of one another. And so the great fast begins, the first week or the flowering of repentance begins. There are a number of things that we do. As I mentioned, we're going to load you up, load up your Lenten knapsack and carry it with you for the next 40 days. One of the standard things, we'll go over first of all the standard things. First of all, it's fasting. Now, the traditional fasting would be to give up meat and dairy products, which we've been in the process of doing during these past few weeks leading up to Lent. We gradually strip away the meat and then eventually the dairy products. The idea is that the fattiness, the things that we use for celebration, you know, those lush, succulent foods, are eliminated from our diet during Lent. We do not use foods in which 
We celebrate. We use foods that are non-celebratory foods. So we abstain then from meat and from dairy products, and that is the traditional strict fast. It's not mandatory for everybody, but highly encouraged. At the very least, we give up meat and dairy products on Wednesdays and Fridays during the Lenten season. The reason we fast is because fasting has a way of amplifying our prayer. And we find fasting many places in the scriptures. Jesus Christ himself went out 40 days into the desert where he was tempted by the devil, and he fasted. Moses fasted on the mountain. Elijah fasted. Fasting was something prescribed in the both Old and the New Testament. And also, fasting was prescribed for 40 days because the number 40 is a very biblical number and also is a way of preparing for baptism. See, a lot of what we do during Lent in the Byzantine tradition has its roots in the preparation for baptism. And these preparations got extended into the, what we know as the full-blown practice of the Lenten season. So fasting helps us to hold back, to pull back from a lot of things that we think we really need or that we depended upon. And we are always amazed at how dependent we have become on things, especially certain foods, certain habits, certain things. So we fast, first of all, from the foods. The reason for that is because the fathers of the church believe that if you can master that carnal appetite for food, you can master just about anything else as well. So we start with the gut. We say no to the gut. We say no to our carnal desires, or those things of the, the fleshy aspects of life. Not that they're bad. It's just that we sometimes can become too dependent on them. What we determine is to be normal eating is oftentimes when you pull back from it is actually rather or a bit excessive eating. And we don't really realize that till you pull back from it and you get an objective view. But fasting is not just from food alone. Fasting is, above all, from anything that is sinful. As St. John Chrysostom said, he warned us during the Lenten practice, not to abstain from meat, yet devour our brothers and sisters. So the abstinence is first and foremost from sinfulness, from not only consuming food, but chewing on or consuming our brothers and sisters by gossiping and criticizing and idle talk, idle chatter. And we can fast from anything that is actually a part of our regular routine. For instance, our smartphones. Not that we have to limit them entirely, but let's face it. We have become completely obsessive and addictive to anything with a screen and buttons on it. <laughs> they often say that young children today suffer from videophilia, nature deficit disorder. They're inside in front of a screen pushing buttons all day long far too long. And that can be very obsessive, very addicting. So backing off from that. See, fasting doesn't necessarily have to mean totally abstaining. It could be just backing off the dial, letting go of some of that. And you'd be amazed at how addicted we really are or something like addiction. We have a hard time imagining going without these things. And that's precisely why we need to focus on these things and pull back from them. Remember, if you pull back from one thing, it enables you to pull back from something else. So never do anything isolated. Always do several things on several levels. The first and foremost is the level of food, of the fasting from food, meat and dairy products, in whatever form you want to do it. You could do the full-blown traditional fast, which I highly advise. It's only 40 days, or you can do various forms of that. 
then back off from other things on other levels. Sometimes it's good to say no to yourself in almost every aspect of your day. For example, let's say you normally have that second cup of coffee. Just say to yourself, you know what, I'm only going to have one cup of coffee. So you notice I didn't tell you not to have the coffee, although that would be great too. But you can even do things like just backing off, a littlest thing. You know, I'll take that second helping. No, I'm not going to take that second helping this time. I'm going to maybe watch my favorite show tonight. Well, no, maybe I'll skip it tonight. I'll watch it next week instead. So you can do it in varying degrees, but you have to always do something. And what's really helpful, I find, is if you do it in the various aspects of your life, not just in one area. You can do one area in a more major way, such as the fasting, but also go into the every little other aspect of your life and just say little no's to yourself. You'll be amazed at how freeing that is and how to say no in one area enables you to say no in other areas, especially areas that are tougher. When we come back, we're going to continue to fill up your Lenten knapsacks so that you can have it to carry with you on your way through the journey of the Great Fast. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. We join our Chaldean Catholics in prayer to the Mother of God for peace in the Middle East. Mother of God, Virgin Mary, be for us a safeguard from all illnesses and hardships. Through the great love you have for Christ, ask and beseech him to be merciful to us, to give healing to our ailments, to console the downtrodden, to unite those who are scattered, and to forgive us. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I am inviting you to the third annual women's retreat where I will be the retreat master for the Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th, the third annual women's retreat, the Genius of Womanhood. More details, contact Joan Washburn at 419-798-9107. The Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, filling up your Lenten knapsack to carry with you all these great Lenten goodies of the Byzantine liturgical tradition to accompany you on your journey. And we do see Lent as a journey, a journey through the great fast. What you just heard at the beginning of this second part of our program was the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, which is said in parts throughout the first week of Lent, which we're in now. And then the fourth week of Lent on Thursday, it's said in its entirety. So it goes for several hours. 
Jesus. And amidst that, we also read the very fascinating and dramatic story of St. Mary of Egypt, a great ascetic of the Eastern Church. During the St. Andrew of Crete, what we do, actually, is the, we take a liturgical walk through the entire scriptures of every reference possible that has to do with repentance, but also of righteousness and redemption. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Let's see if this is familiar to you. Picture to yourself, my soul, the rod of Moses striking the sea and making hard the deep by the sign of the Holy Cross. Through the cross, you also can do great things. Aaron offered to God fire that was blameless, undefiled, but Hophni and Phinehas brought to him, as you had done, my soul, strange fire and a polluted life. In my soul and body, O Master, I have become like Janus and Jambres, the magicians of cruel Pharaoh. My will is heavy and my mind is drowned beneath the waters, but do you come to my aid? Were these names and events familiar to you? I suspect not, although maybe they are. But I suspect not. But that's precisely the beauty, the brilliance of this canon of St. Andrew of Crete. It goes through even things that might ordinarily be rather obscure passages, not well-known passages of Scripture, especially from the Old Testament, that have to do with any kind of sin, rebellion against God, rebellion against the order, the covenant, but also examples of redemption. So it's a magnificent walk through the scriptures, a penitential walk. The St. Andrew of Crete canon, the great canon, again said each night in the first week of Lent and then all in its entirety on Thursday, the fourth week of Lent. Along with that, during this first week, we also will be attending the pre-sanctified liturgies. During the Lenten season, we do not have what we would call the regular divine liturgy or Eucharistic liturgy, but we still have the reception of Eucharist itself. So we suspend the usual celebration of the liturgy during the week. We do have it on Saturday and Sunday. But we still need the nourishment that the Eucharist can give us to sustain our spiritual journey. And so what the church came up with was this ingenious service called the pre-sanctified liturgy, which is basically an evening vesper service with Old Testament readings and liturgical texts. And along with that, the reception of Holy Communion. But this reception of Holy Communion is very, very elaborate. It's probably the closest the Eastern churches would come to the custom in the Latin Rite Church of benediction and Eucharistic adoration, because Eucharist is taken in procession, or everybody bows down. In fact, they prostrate before it, and there is very beautiful solemn melodies and lots of incense, and Eucharist is used to bless the people and then also to distribute to them so they receive Holy Communion. So it's a very, very Eucharistically-based service at the same time coupled with the evening prayer. It's called the pre-sanctified liturgy. And usually in parishes, that is celebrated on Wednesday and Friday. It can be celebrated each day of the week, but largely it's celebrated at least once or twice during the weekdays of the season of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And then there is one of the mainstays of the Lenten season in the Byzantine tradition, the beautiful, very meaningful, very poignant and indicting prayer of St. Ephraim. And these are the words... Lord and Master of my life, spare me from the spirit of indifference, despair, lust for power, and idle chatter. Instead, bestow on me, your servant, the spirit of integrity, humility, patience, and love. Yes, O Lord and King, let me see my own sins and not judge my brothers and sisters, for you are blessed forever and ever. Amen. You may have noticed there are three verses to this. And in between each verse, we do what's called a full prostration, 
In other words, you go all the way to the ground. You kneel down and then touch your head to the floor. The idea behind this is that our entire being, even our body itself, becomes a vehicle, an instrument of repentance. Not only these heartfelt words, but our heart, the words on our lips, our mind, our soul, our very body, our whole being becomes dedicated to repentance. This prostration, which is one of the signature actions of the Lenten season in the Byzantine liturgy, is done during this Ephraim prayer, but also done to pre-sanctified liturgy, and it's most famous for its use in the canon of St. Andrew of Crete, which we just spoke about. In fact, we actually do a couple hundred prostrations on Thursday of the fourth week of Lent when St. Andrew of Crete is done in its entirety. It's very grueling, <laughs> but it also is very very engaging. You really, really throw your entire being into repentance. Sometimes this may sound like we're a bit extreme, but when you think of the goodness, greatness of God, when you think of what's coming ahead, what God will do for us, it's enough that we just came through the season of his incarnation, that he condescended and lowered himself to become us while remaining God. That in itself is enough for our repentance. But he'll go so far as to suffer and die for us, be put on the cross, raise us up with him as he resurrects, ascend to heaven, take our human nature with him on the very throne of God, and eventually send us the third person of the Trinity so that we would live in the Spirit, free in the life of the Spirit. Imagine all of that. So what could possibly be too much in regard to that sacrifice and act love by Almighty God just for us sinners. So what might seem to be rather extreme is actually hardly worthy of enough once we compare and contrast what God has done for us and what we can do in response. So during this week, we have the fasting, the pre-sanctified liturgy, the prayer of St. Ephraim, and the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. That's a very packed first week, and we just think we're only beginning. There's something interesting that happens toward the end of the week, of the first week of Lent in the Byzantine Church, and that is an observance of a saint and also a little custom that goes along with that saint. I'm going to read a few words from what I always recommend each year at this time is a great classic, classic book called The Lenten Troyodian by Timothy Callistus Ware, Archbishop Archimandrite Timothy Callistus Ware. And in that book, he describes this feast day and the custom. He says that on Saturday, this is the Saturday of the first week of Lent, we commemorate the great martyr Theodore Tyron, the recruit, a Roman soldier in Asia Minor, martyred in the early 4th century under the Emperor Maximian. Here may be seen at work a rule applied by the church since the 4th century. As the full liturgy cannot be offered on weekdays in Lent, saints' memorials, which in the fixed calendar occur during the week, are transferred to Saturday or Sunday. So the memorial of St. Theodore, whose feast falls on the 17th of February, has been transferred to the first Saturday. And the texts for the day in the Trojan make frequent reference to the literal meaning of his name, gift from God. As a Theodore means gift from God. There is a specific reason why St. Theodore has come to be associated with the first week of Lent. According to the tradition recorded in the Senaxarian, the Emperor Julian the Apostate, this is in 361 to 363, 
as part of his campaign against the Christians, attempted to defile their observance of the first week of Lent by ordering all the food for sale in the market of Constantinople to be sprinkled with blood from pagan sacrifices. St. Theodore then appeared in a dream to Eudoxius, the archbishop of the city, ordering him to warn his flock against buying anything from the market. Instead, so the saint told him, they should boil wheat, called coliva, and eat this alone. In memory of this event, after the precinct by liturgy on the first Friday of the first week of Lent, a canon of intercession is sung to St. Theodore, and a dish of Kaliva is blessed in his honor. But apart from this historical association of the great martyr Theodore with the first week of the fast, it is also spiritually appropriate that he should be commemorated during these days. For the great fast is a season of unseen warfare, of invisible martyrdom, when by our ascetic dying to sin, we seek to emulate the self-offering of the martyrs. That is why, in addition to such commemorations as that of St. Theodore on the first Saturday, there are also regular hymns to the martyrs on all the weekdays of Lent. Their example has a special significance for us in our ascetic efforts in the great 40 days. And again, I am referring to this great book, The Lenten Troidian by Archbishop Archimandrite Callistus Timothy Ware. Well, we've loaded you up your Lenten knapsack, and it's not even filled yet. We have much more to go. But for now, that's probably enough for this first week of Lent. We conclude again with the sounds of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.